Okay, let's have a look at Ruth, uh, the final section. So much that we could say, so much that I've learned. Thank you to everyone that came out to the uh, footnotes in the morning at 9 a.m. We don't have a class next week. This was our last class, and we were all very sad about that, actually. It's always good when people say, I'm sad, this is the last class. Uh, we might try it again in the new year, but I learned so much during this time. And one of the things that really stands out for me is that this story of Ruth is like an oasis in the time of the judges and in a large part of the Old Testament. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I turn to the Old Testament, I get a little bit discouraged, maybe perplexed, maybe a little bit depressed as I read through some of the stuff and go, what am I supposed to do with this? What am I supposed to do with all the bloodshed and, and the just very descriptive times when, when God seems to ban those that are excluded from the covenants of promise? What do I do with all this as a follower of Jesus today? And then we come to Ruth. And it's like this, this ah, this, this fresh water that comes to us as we read through this story of Ruth. Ruth is an oasis. In the time of the judges, when everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes, we have Ruth and we have Boaz. It's kind of like a new Adam and Eve. This is the way it was supposed to be. This is male and female, made in the image of God, working together, honoring God's laws, and building up his kingdom, and doing it as equals. It's a beautiful story that we get to witness uh, in the story of Ruth. And all along, I've been reminding you that this is not a fairy tale. This is not a romance novel. But then we get to the ending, and it kind of feels like that, doesn't it? I mean, if you look at the kind of chiastic structure of Ruth, chiasm is, is a, a literary form where the, the front is, is mirrored by the back, and we find that in Ruth. Everything that Ruth and Naomi lost at the beginning, it's mirrored by all the stuff that they gained back. And it sounds like a happy ending, right? It sounds like a fairy tale ending. I mean, you look at, at Boaz, this, this wealthy landowner who was probably lonely, we think, right? But he was tall and strapping handsome, and he finally gets the woman of his dreams, good old Boaz. And, and Ruth, Poor Ruth, who's poor, literally poor and vulnerable. And she gets the man of her dreams and a baby. Right? It's perfect. It's the way it should be. It sounds like a fairy tale ending, but I want you to continue to resist that urge to put this story into that stereotype because it's not what's happening here. And I'll tell you why. In fairy tales, the main characters, the whole point of the story is that they get what they want. They receive, they get something out of this. Whether it's the woman or the man in the fairy tale, they get something. The woman gets to live in a palace and, and the man gets the woman of, of his dreams. They get something. In Ruth, they do get something, but more importantly, the story is about what they give up. It's about their sacrifice. It's about redemption. So that might not be super obvious to us, so let's explore it a little bit more. What does Boaz give up? It seems like he gets some good things. He gets land, and he gets another wife. I think he was probably already married, but he gets another one. If you have one, two could be more expensive. But Boaz can afford it. So what does he sacrifice? 
Well, this story is all about risk. And it's all about the risks that Boaz takes. In the passage right before the one we read, we're introduced to a strange character. The strange character is actually the nearest kinsman redeemer to Naomi. He's the next one in line. Now, here's the weird thing. In the story of Ruth, everyone is given a name. That's important. And every name has a meaning, except for this guy. Literally, in Hebrew, he is called um, Almoni Poloni. If you read him, it sounds funny too, doesn't it? It sounds like, hey, Almoni Poloni, come over here. The translation is something like this, so-and-so. That's who he's called. And so when Boaz goes to the gates and he's sitting in the gates and it just happens that so-and-so goes by, he calls out to him. Hey, you, buddy, so-and-so, come over here and sit down for a moment. He's not even dignified with a name. Now, there's lots of reasons. We talked about this in footnotes. Perhaps it's because in the end, he rejected his obligation to redeem Naomi and Elimelech's land, right? Perhaps that's why. Or someone else in our group, who's smarter than me, suggested maybe it was actually to protect him and his family because of the shame that could come because he rejected his obligation to redeem Naomi's land and Elimelech's land. But he comes up with a very good reason. He says, I can't do this. See, this is what Boaz did. It's kind of tricky. Boaz assembled, you know, 10 of the elders. He grabbed so-and-so and said, hey, so-and-so, come over here. I've got to talk to you. Uh, there's, you know all about Naomi. And you all know about that, uh, the fact that Elimelech is dead. And Elimelech's land is basically up for sale. It can be redeemed. And you're the next in line. Do you want it? And the guy says, yes, where do I sign? More land, that's awesome. I mean, technically, if I redeem it, it still belongs to Naomi, but she's old, she's gonna kick the bucket soon, and I will have the land. What is there to lose? And Boaz says, awesome. By the way, the day that you redeem the land, you also have to take Ruth as your wife. And the guy was like, whoa, wait a minute. Where is this coming from? And he says, I can't do it. I can't do it because it will jeopardize my own inheritance. It will jeopardize my, my, my own estate. What's happening here? You see, here's the risk. And this guy wasn't willing to take it. The risk is, if this guy redeemed the land, if he bought back Elimelech's land, and he took Ruth as a wife, if Ruth, Ruth had a son, the land would belong to the son. And that guy who just invested his capital in the land, he would not own the land. It would belong to the son, the, the descendant of Elimelech. And so this guy said, I'm not willing to take that risk. But Boaz was. Boaz was in the same uh, predicament. He was in the same condition. He could redeem this land. He could take Ruth. And if they had a son, which they did, that land and all that inheritance belongs to the son and not to him. So Boaz, and this is the story, this is the beauty of the story, Boaz is willing to give all of that up. He's willing to sacrifice that in order to redeem Elimelech's land and line. That's amazing. What about Ruth? Is it just happy ending for Ruth? No, it's about sacrifice too. All the way along, Ruth is taking major risks. I think this is what we admire about her. 
At the very beginning, um, when Naomi turns to Ruth and Orpah and says, go home. Basically, what Naomi is saying is, you're released from any obligation. Um, I don't have any other sons, so you can't marry them. But I'm not also going to confine you to be a widow for life. That happened to Tamar, if you go back in the stories. That's what happened to her. It was an injustice to her. But Naomi says, no, I'm going to release you from any obligation. And Orpah does what's sensible. She goes back to her family so she can marry again. But Ruth says, no, your God will be my God. Your family's going to be my family. And where you go, I'm going to go. That's a huge risk to be a widow, childless, and a foreigner in the land of Israel. She's putting herself at incredible vulnerability. What a risk, what she was willing to give up, all that she knew, all of her land, all of, all of her family, even her God. She was willing to sacrifice it all in order to be kind to Naomi. That's part of the story. And all the way along, the risks that Ruth takes, the risk to her reputation when she goes to the threshing floor, that scandalous event where she uncovers his feet, right? And we wonder, what's going on here, right? There's a scandal here brewing, and she risks her own reputation. And she risks everything when, when she proposes to, to um, what's his name? Boaz, right? She's risking everything. And so it's about what they've given up. It's not about what they have achieved. This is not the rescue of a damsel in distress. In fact, this is, isn't even about the redemption of Ruth. That's how we often think of it. And Ruth is redeemed in this story. But this story is about Ruth and Boaz working together to bring redemption to Naomi and the line of Elimelech. This is actually all about the rescue of Elimelech. Remember that guy at the very beginning? He ran from the country. Everybody else seemed to stay. Everybody else seemed to band together. We don't hear of anybody else running from the land. Elimelech, who was a man of means, he had land, and he gave it all up because he ran to Moab, and it seems like it was the wrong move. And he died, and his sons died as a result. That foolish move, that going away is being redeemed because of what Boaz and Ruth are doing. So this isn't a fairy tale. This is about Boaz and Ruth redeeming the line of Elimelech. And we'll find out why in just a moment. Carolyn Custis James says this, God calls his image bearers to join him in saving the world. This isn't the language of comic books or cartoon heroes but this is part of the central message of the Bible. He sensed that in Boaz and Ruth, even though they didn't really know it at the time. They were being called through their actions to bring redemption, not only to Elimelech, but to you and me as well. And we find that out as the story goes on. Because in the end, the, the entire story is leading to one conclusion. And we find that in the genealogy. And what is the conclusion? is to show that King David is in the direct line of Judah, that King David is in the line of promise, that King David is in the line of the Messiah, right? All of this story, all of it pushes toward one final conclusion, and from our mind and from our vantage point, is that Ruth's story points us to Jesus. 
That's what it does for us. It points us to Jesus. And it points us to the redemption of the world. Obed, the name of the child that was born, his name means servant of God. And it's meant to be a signal to us of the servant of the Lord, who Isaiah mentions, who is Jesus. And so it sets us up for Advent. It sets us up for Christmas, doesn't it? When we look at Matthew's gospel, in fact, we find that Ruth joins with some other notable women in the genealogy of, of Jesus, Rahab and Tamar, all preserving the line of promise that is often in jeopardy all throughout the Bible. And Ruth is part of that. And so Ruth, I would say, ultimately, is a gospel story. It's a gospel story. It's a story of the good news that points us to Jesus. It shows us the equality of the gospel, right? Ruth reminds us that male and female, we are created equally in the image of God, and we're called together to work for his good purposes in the world. Just as the gospel says that we are now neither male nor female, but all of us are one in Christ. Ruth models that for us. Ruth also shows us the inclusivity of the gospel. It shows us that strangers and foreigners to God's covenant, people just like you and me, are welcome to his table. Just as Jesus declares, my house shall be a house of prayer for who? For all nations, right? And instructs his disciples to proclaim the good news to the whole world. Just as Ruth is included, so we are included. We find ourselves in the story. And Ruth reminds us of the price of the gospel, the cost of it. Ruth reminds us that redemption is costly, just as the gospel says that in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of God's grace. So how do we sum this up? <laughs> What's the bottom line? There's lots of lessons and messages, and I think ultimately it needs to point us to Jesus, and we need to let the story do that for us. But as I reflect on this and have been for the last month and a half, uh, there's a lesson that just strikes me as very personal, very practical, something that I need to really put into action. In the New Testament, Paul says that we are all, in fact, co-workers together and co-workers together with Jesus. Can you just imagine that for a moment? Think of all that Jesus did. Think of all that Jesus did during his time on earth, all that Jesus did on the cross and his resurrection. And now Paul says, you are co-workers together with Christ. We are participating in God's redemption of the world, just as Ruth and Boaz participated together in God's redemption plan. So you and I are called to participate in this great grand redemption plan that God has for the world. How do we do that? It sounds too big. That's way too big for me. I can't imagine. Where do we begin? How do we do it? Do we have to be nailed to the cross again? No, nope. Jesus already did that part for us. How do we participate? Well, I think the lesson to me that I'm taking away from Ruth is this. We participate through simple acts of kindness. And that seems too simple, doesn't it? It's like, no, 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 it's, it's got to be bigger. It's got to be something more, more challenging. And, and yet we can't start talking about big redemption themes and leveret marriage and all the kinsman redeemer and everything else in Ruth if we don't first start to practice simple acts of kindness. Because it's God's chesed. 
his covenant kindness that is shown through these characters of Boaz and Ruth. Boaz and Ruth, they were completely unaware that they were participating in God's redemption plan. I'm sure of it. There was no vision. There was no direct command from God, no voice from heaven, you know, no tablets of stone commanding them. Uh, God is, is noticeably kind of silent throughout this whole entire story. And as they go about their daily tasks, all they know and all they seek to do is to be kind to one another, to do what kindness dictates. When, when Ruth wants to cling to Naomi, why? What, what benefit is there? No, it's because she's kind to Naomi in that sense of loyal covenant kindness. Boaz remarks when, when uh, Ruth comes to him, he says, wow, what kindness you have shown to me. Boaz in turn responds with kindness to Ruth and to Naomi all the way through it is this kindness until in the very end chapter, um, the comment is, Ruth is better to you than seven sons because of her kindness. Maybe that's where we start. How do we participate in God's redemption plan? By being kind through simple acts of kindness. This last week, I watched a, a short story. I was going to show it this morning, except it's actually an advertisement for WestJet. You know, WestJet does those heartstring stories sometimes to try and convince us that they're a human company. It's okay, I have a WestJet pilot coming to see me with me this afternoon, so I'm allowed to say things about WestJet. Anyway, the story was fascinating. Short clip, you can look it up at home and watch it, and it's a true story about a high school student. This high school student lived in Alberta in a small town, and in this small town, uh, during the time he was living there, he lost his dad. His dad passed away. And uh, this young man also has a speech impediment, and when he was in school, uh, people would make fun of him, they would bully him. Uh, there's, he just did not feel that he had a place in his school or in the world, and he was overcome with a sense of depression and loss. His mom decided that they would move into Calgary. And coming to Calgary, the hope was in going to a slightly bigger school and having the opportunity, maybe there would be other friendship groups that this young man could make. What was going to happen? It was a huge risk, right? But this young man decided not to wait for people to make friends. He decided to take action. And he did something that was so simple yet so profound that by the end of his high school in grade 12, the whole class, his whole class, nominated him to be prom king. What did he do? What profound act did he do? He decided that he'd start opening the door for people. Now, I'm not talking metaphorically. Like, I'm not talking, he opened a lot of doors for me in my life. No, he literally was opening the door. It sounds weird, right? But he would get to school early and he'd stand and he'd hold the door open for all the other students. And as they came up, he'd smile at them, he'd say hi, he'd welcome them into the class. And at first, the students were like, this is weird. Like, what is this guy doing? What does he expect from us? But by the end, people were looking forward, the other students were looking forward to coming into that door that this young man was holding open for them. And pretty soon it caught on that others were beginning to hold the door. I don't know if you've ever gone into a high school. Not too many people hold the door open for you. So this is a profound act. 
And through this simple act of kindness, he changed his whole character. He's now like a, a guest speaker. He goes on speaking tours. And, uh, but he also changed some of the culture in his school. Now, I'm not saying that, I don't know if he was a Christian, a follower of Jesus. Uh, it doesn't matter. There was an example there of a simple act of kindness and the profound impact that it can have on a culture that tends not to be kind to one another. How can we be kind in the sense of loyal covenant kindness that Ruth models? How do we be kind to one another? How do we be kind to our neighbor? How do we be kind even to the people cutting us off on the road? I have to practice that one. Do you ever notice that when you're trying to get into traffic and you know how you're supposed to zipper? You know what zipper is, right, people? You're supposed to zipper into traffic as you merge. And some people don't know what a zipper is and how it works. And so sometimes you get frustrated and you have to squeak in and the guy's right on your tail. You know what changes everything? Sometimes if you give him a little wave, right? And all of a sudden you see them back up. It's like, oh, okay. He waved at me. A little bit of kindness. I know it sounds so simple, but that's what I'm taken away from the story of Ruth. Lord, help me to be kind. Help me to be kind. Mother Teresa said this, a famous quote, not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. Ruth and Boaz, they were doing a lot of just ordinary things, making ordinary decisions, but they're doing it with great love. And in doing so, they were, they were participating with God's redemption plan in the world. May we do the same. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your servant, Ruth, and your servant, Boaz. Thank you for preserving this story for us to read and enter into. But Father, we pray that we wouldn't just read it as a good story, but that by your Spirit, our lives would be changed because of this example. But thank you ultimately that they point us to your Son. We realize that even a simple act of kindness is sometimes too great for us, and so we need the transforming power of the resurrection of Jesus to help us to do this. Father, our world desperately needs your redemption, desperately needs your gospel, and you've committed that burden to us. Help us to do it well. Help us to do it consistently. Help us to be kind in the way that you have been kind to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.